The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, many of you know that we have been, uh, for the past several weeks, talking about the topic, what is the church? And we've looked at this theologically, and we've looked at it practically, we've looked at it a number of different ways. And uh, today what I've asked you to think about is the fact that the church is global. The church is not just what happens in these four walls, which would be the easiest thing to think about because it's the one that's most familiar to us. It's not even what happens in the churches in our city or our state or our country or in the English-speaking world. Uh, The church, with the capital C, is everything uh, that Jesus is doing in and through the people who make up his body uh, all around the world. And you may also know that we have an increasingly strong connection with some friends in Uganda And uh, you've heard from my friend James, who's here this morning as well, uh, about his work with the Ugandan Water Project, and we've raised funds uh, over the years uh, several different times to help support their work. Uh, And today, we are going to deepen that connection even a little bit more, and I'm really thrilled to have Pastor George Nsamba with us uh, from Uganda. And uh, he is a pastor there and an overseer of churches there and a former educator and uh, the, the work that is going on there with the Ugandan Proje- Water Project is um, he's, he's our point person. He's the point person for the, for the entire project, um, not to mention the specific parts of it that we've been involved with. And uh, his work uh, among the people of Uganda has been remarkable and admirable, and I think it really is the work of Jesus. Uh, and so, Pastor George... Can I ask you to come up, and uh, he's going to share with us this morning, and I'm really excited to hear uh, his perspective and and whatever it is that you, the Lord has uh, given us to bring. Thank you, Pastor Scott, for allowing me to come and share with you. But I have an assignment that I have to do before I continue speaking to you. This assignment was given to me by my wife that I must talk about her before I do any speaking. (laughs) So now I'm doing my assignment. My wife is Beatrice, and I have only one. Now that means I'm a man. In Africa, some men have four, five, and I've met a man with eight. So if I have one, then I'm a man. So I say, I bring greetings from my family. They love you. And many of you, they have not seen by face, but what you have been doing to us and to our people in Uganda, 
speaks on your behalf. So thank you very much. I, I came with my brother James. I think you just give a greeting because you stamp what I say. I'm loud, so I don't need a mic. Oh. This will blow the uh, recording now. But good morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm so glad to be here with Pastor George. You know, I've been here several times. I know a lot of you from a lot of different places, and it's just a, a real joy to, to be here again. And uh, this is very exciting, you know, just to have, uh, you know, really the essence of the Uganda Water Project. It's, it's something you understand as a community very well. It's about relationships. And uh, at the essence of our work there, there's it could all be, you know, boiled down to a single relationship, and it's this one right here. Um, George is our, uh, our host in country and our field director, and, uh, and I run things on this side of the pond. And, um, and, and so I'm just so grateful that we can be here engaging in this relationship, another layer, and, uh, and we're, it's just a really exciting thing for, for us and uh, to have you guys be able to meet him and, and for him to meet you and, and really take that further uh, as he represents, you know, who you are to the people that you've been part of. And, uh, and so I'm just glad to be here and, and, you know, be with Pastor George and looking forward to seeing some of you tonight. Pastor George, he's preaching three different places this today. <laughs> so he won't be here tonight, so you're stuck with me. Um, but I just want to, you know, say hello and glad to be here and listen to what this guy has to say. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I... I bring greetings to the communities of Mbende, Busana, and Kasokoso, where we planted the, ch- the tanks that you gave to us. These are rural communities, and uh, we don't have time to show you the videos, but most people in Africa, they use water which they scoop from swamps and uh, they wait for the down power, and then they will go around and they scoop water from any stagnant water that stands anywhere. So when we give them water tanks, we, we are healing children, we are healing, we are, we are saving them from waterborne diseases. And so what you do really is so important, and may God bless you, every one of us who has contributed uh, it's good. I believe James one time will show you the videos and see exactly how the impact of what you are doing in our country. Uh, I read on your website and I came to understand that you have been doing a series on what is the church. And uh, it took me many hours to listen to what God was saying to me and what I felt as God wanted me to speak this morning. And I felt like bringing a new dimension of what the church is and I pray that it will align with what you've been hearing from the pastor. May I invite you to 2 Peter chapter 1 starting from verse 16. Second Peter, chapter 1, starting from verse 16. And I'm reading from 
the Revised Standard Version, which is part of this church. And I'll continue up to verse 19a. We did not believe cleverly devised me when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from the Father when the, that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19a. So we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. My thing this morning is the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The prophetic word was, was sure, was certain to Peter, James, and John, but the mountain experience in verse 18 made the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What I realize is that many Bibles translate the Greek in different ways of verse 19a. For example, the New American Standard Version reads, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. The Amplified Bible reads, we have the prophetic word made firmer. The English Bible, that's New King James, reads, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. The DB translation reads, and we have the prophetic word made sure. Williams' translation says, so we have the message of the prophets certainly guaranteed. New Living Translation reads, because of that, we have even greater confidence in what the prophets said. In other words, the prophetic word was sure, was firm, was certain, but the mountain experience made it firmer, certainly guaranteed, and more certain. And so, our theme comes from verse 19a. Before we discuss how the prophetic word was made most certain, I want to read verse 20 and 21 to see the certainty of the prophetic word. Verse 20. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In other words, the prophetic word was not a product of human wisdom. Wise men, the Bible says that men and women moved by the Spirit of God, spoke from God. When you read in 2 Timothy, Paul emphasizes this point. He says, 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. 
That means the prophetic word, which I believe he meant the word of God, the Bible they had then, was not a product of wise men of the day, but God spoke through this man. And I believe the Bible Peter is talking about was the Old Testament. Because these men never had the Bible as we have it today. The second part of the Bible was written by the apostles themselves. And so some of them never saw the Bible as we have it. Their Bible was only the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament was their Bible. So when he talks about the prophetic word being confirmed, he's talking about the Old Testament being confirmed by the mountain experience. And so I believe the mountain experience he's talking about is in Matthew chapter 17. If you, if you can, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 so that we might look at the mountain experience that could have caused such a tremendous impact on the life of Peter. Because he says, now we have it certainly confirmed. Now we have it guaranteed. Meaning that it was because of the mountain experience that Peter was able to say, it's now certainly guaranteed. Chapter 17 of Matthew. Reading from verse 1 to verse 6 and 7, maybe. After six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John and led them to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they appeared to them. Moses, Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud came a voice and said, this is my son, the beloved one, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to me. This is the experience that Peter is talking about. When you read verse 1, he says, he, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John. It seems as if the Peter in verse 1, is the same Peter who wrote the letter that we have just read. So he takes this man to this high mountain. And suddenly, something happens. The Bible says, Elijah, Moses, appeared to Jesus. And behold, some kind of cloud comes from above and envelops them. Then a voice comes from this cloud and says, This is my son, 
the beloved one. So this morning I want to just briefly discuss the three most important things that happened on the mountain. I believe these are the things that caused Peter and maybe the other apostles to be different men and women. Number one, at the mountain they got an experiential knowledge of Jesus in glory. The Bible says in verse 5, let me read again. Verse 5 it says, uh, while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Some Bibles say enveloped them, covered them. They were standing on this mountain and suddenly a cloud comes from above and covers them, envelops them, overshadows them. And many of us know that when the Bible talks about clouds and clouds, usually the reference is being made to the glory of God. Read with me Exodus 40, 34. Exodus 40, 34. If you can't read, let me read for you. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter into the, meet, into the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was in the days of Moses. Moses put up this tabernacle. And on the day it was pinched, the Bible says, quote, Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. And the glory of God filled the tent. Moses was not able to enter into the meeting into the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When you read in 1 Kings 8.10, it reads, When the priests withdrew from the holy place, a cloud filled the temple, and the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord covered the temple. Chronicles, Second Chronicles 5.13 reads, The trumpeters and singers joined in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other in- instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. The temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud for the glory of God descended on the temple. When you read Luke chapter 9 verse 34, it reads, And they feared as they entered into this cloud. There was such 
solemnity and glory as to strike their minds with awe and fear as they gradually entered into this cloud. Well, when you relate these verses, could it be the same cloud that came on the tabernacle during the time of Moses is the same cloud that descended on this mountain? Or could it be true that the cloud that came down in the time of Solomon, many of us have read about this Solomon builds this temple on the day of dedication. Solomon rises up his hands in prayer and suddenly a cloud comes from above. The Bible says it was the glory of God that descended on the mountain, on, on this temple. Could be the same cloud descended on Jesus on this mountain. What they had read from the prophets, from the Psalms, was now a reality to them. I believe having been Jews, they had read all about Moses. They knew the Old Testament. I understand the Jews start being taught the Bible, the, their Old Testament, as early as five. So these men knew the Old Testament. They had read about the glory of God coming on the tabernacle. They had read about the glory or the cloud coming upon the temple in the time of Moses. But now it was not an issue of reading about it, being taught about it. It was an issue of having an experience of what they had read about. Let me tell you this. Words are very good. We employ words, talking, writing our mails, doing all communication. And sometimes ladies are better than men. But it's one thing to know something through words and know it by experience. It seems as if experience brings a major difference. For example, the queen of Sheba visited with Solomon. The Bible says, quote, When she entered in the presence of Solomon and saw all the wealth Riches and wisdom of Solomon, she had no spirit left in her. In other words, she knew everything. For example, recently I wanted to invite the prime minister in my church. And so I signed the papers so that the prime minister would come and visit with us. And this is what they told me. That before the prime minister visits, they will send the officer of records 
The Office of Records come from, comes from the, the office of the Prime Minister to take statistics about everything in that locality, in that village. He will come, do some interview with some Christians, read some documents in the offices, and then re- take back the report. So that when the Prime Minister comes, he knows what to say. I believe the Queen of Sheba and many leaders have officers' records. They will not just visit before sending the officer of records to bring information about the place or the peoples the Prime Minister is going to visit. I believe the Queen of Sheba had the officer of records who had come to Solomon's place, taken some records, narrated some stories, and then she knew. But the Bible says when she came and saw, quote, she had no spirit left in her. John writes this, John 1.1. The letter of John, chapter 1, verse 1, the first letter of John. This is what he writes. First John 1.1. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have seen, what we have, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This is what John is saying. We declare it to you. What we have seen, what we have touched, and what we have heard with our ears. In other words, we are not talking to you what we read from a certain book. We are not talking to you what some, what we saw or some televangelist preached. We are preaching to you what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have touched with our hearts. What is saying to us? I believe James, uh, John, is talking to this man. Maybe he was writing to a church like us now. And he's saying, brothers, when we came to you, we were not proclaiming to you what we read from a book. We are not, we are not proclaiming to you what someone told us. But what we saw with our hands, what we touched with our hands, and what we heard. I wonder whether there are some judges or lawyers here. But one day, it so happened that my brother was taken to prison. And I had to go and stand in for him. And so... The judge stands up and the lawyers and then they ask for witnesses. 
and there were three. Please, can you tell us about this? And this man stands up and says, Sir, I read about that case from the papers this morning. And from what was written, I feel this man must have committed the crime. The judge said, sit down. Please give us your story. And this lady stands up and says, Sir, uh, we were in a ladies' meeting. And uh, we are all Christians. We love the Lord. And this issue came up. And all of us ladies, we realized that this man must have committed this crime. He just said, sit down. Then another one stands up and says, sir, I saw. Mm-hmm. I saw. What is the difference? They were talking stories, second-hand stories. But this one other lady says, I saw. And the judge said, mm, continue with your story. And then she continued giving testimony and witness concerning the case. And so John is saying, we were proclaiming to you what we heard, the ears, what we touched with our hands, and what we saw with our eyes. Let me make some applications of what I've been saying. Because we are the church, I believe we are living in a generation with so many challenges. The church has many challenges today. Unless we have men and women who have had an experience with the Lord, the church has no future. Those who will say together with John that I am speaking about what I have seen, what I have touched, and what I have heard with my ears, the church has no future. I believe an experience with the Lord Jesus makes a great difference in one's walk with the Lord. Our people, our members, and those in courts we take as part of us ought to have had an experience with the Lord Jesus, and then the church of Jesus Christ will have some kind of future. When you look at the Bible clearly, you see the power of the first church was due to the fact that most of the men and women who in courts constituted the first church had had an experience. They knew the Lord. 
They knew him and they would stand up and testify. No wonder these men were so bold. Peter stands up and says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts of Apostles chapter 4, verse 20. We cannot. The Sanhedrin invites Peter and John and says, Please don't talk about those things. You should not. Because you are bringing condemnation on us. And Peter stands up and says, We cannot fail to speak what we have seen and what we have heard. Why was he bold to that extent? It's because he had had an experience with the Lord. For the church to have men who stand up and declare and stand in for the cause of the kingdom of God, these men and women must have had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just good theological doctrines and statements are not good enough to rise up bold men and women in the church of Jesus Christ. Boldness is due to those due to having had an experience. And so if the church is to rise up, we have so many challenges today. The church today is facing, not only in Africa, definitely the challenges are different from one continent to another. Here in the U.S., you have your own challenges. In Africa, we have so many challenges. Uh, one time, one pastor tells me that in his village, they challenged him because the village has two worship centers, one for the Muslims, one for the Christians. And so one day, the Muslims come distributing bicycles to their imam, Muslim leaders. And so the village, they say, no. It seems Allah is stronger than Jesus. I said, what? No, Allah gave bicycles to, 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 the, to their leader. But the Christian pastor is walking. And to the African mind, that's Allah stronger than Jesus. That is not a challenge here. But this is where we are. And so people will become Muslims not because the man is a great preacher or the Islam doctrine is stronger than our doctrine or Muhammad is alive, but because Allah gave a bicycle to their man and Jesus has failed to give a bicycle to their leader. So you have your challenges. But I'm saying the church is facing challenges everywhere. Those who shall stand boldly and declare 
The kingdom of God must have had an experience. Nearly all men and women who have had, who have done great exploits for the kingdom of God had an experience with the Lord. For example, for us in Africa, we have many stories, and I love stories. But I read this book, and you can go to your computer, you'll get it. In the 17th and 18th century, we had men and women come from England, from Portugal, from Spain, to bring the religion to us. And uh, one day I was, I was saying, why would these men come from England, come from Germany, come from Spain? Because I knew that was the period of the Enlightenment. Things were booming. New medicine, technology, and everything was so good. Life was promising. And no one would opt to go to Africa where only one mosquito will kill you. One, those who come to us, we cover them under mosquito nets. Why would somebody in the 17th century opt to come to Africa? That's madness. Africa was the darkest of the dark continents. We have more than a thousand different languages. In Uganda, whenever you cross a hundred miles, you are in a different tribe, different language, different culture, nothing. In my church, we have 16 different languages. All of us black, but we cannot communicate. <laughs> Why would somebody opt to come from England? I went again and did so much research and so much reading. And I discovered that most of those men and women had had an experience with the Lord Jesus. And some of these experiences were so dramatic that they heard the voice of the Lord telling them to go to Africa. So, all the pleasures of England melted to zero, melted to nothing. And so they packed whatever they had and off they went to Africa. The values of this world, what we celebrate in this life, I believe they had all. Maybe not on the same level. But when they had an experience with the Lord Jesus, this life was no longer what matters. At that point, what mattered was the cause of the kingdom of God. What mattered was to see men and women come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why these men came out of England. Just 50 minutes from my home, there's one who was butchered. And you know what? These are two different languages. And so this man learns one word from one 
tribe, and to him he thinks the same word works in another tribe. So, in one tribe it means release him. In another tribe it means kill him. So he goes to his tribe, and the word they say, the same word, but in this tribe it says, kill him. So the very people who are accompanying him, they butchered him. Why would men do that? An experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw with their eyes. They had an experience. When you read First Peter, he starts with these two statements. We did not believe carefully invented stories. Maybe some people assumed that Peter had believed some of those stories that were saturating in the first century. They said, well, after all, there were so many people preaching. In the first century, it was not only the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached. There were many others preaching their doctrines. And so Peter comes boldly and says, we did not believe a story. Why we saw? Why we touched? Why we heard with our eyes? In fact, your Bible says myth. By definition, myth, usually they don't have who started the myth. Sometimes you don't know. It has, no, it has no ending, it has no beginning. So Peter says, we did not believe a myth. Brothers, I want to tell you, we did not believe myth. We are here this morning not because we believed myth. We are here, I'm here from Africa, not because I believed a myth, but because we had an experience with the Lord Jesus. In fact, experiences vary. In 1985, I come from a family of nine, and I am the only one who graduated from school. My parents gave all their resources just for my school. And so I was their insurance. Old age, in case they get old, they have a son who has graduated from school, they're sure at least once a while I'll give them a coin. So I am here posted in, in Uganda when you finish school, the government gives you a job and you, you are posted somewhere as an officer. So I am posted to the school, I'm enjoying my work. The school is one of the best ones. Nearly every week I have some few coins I send home. Behold, I'm lying on this bed. I saw the heavens open. I, could, I, I couldn't see the roof of the house. My eyes went as far as they could. And I heard a voice from above. George. Are you willing to serve me? I 
and it closed down. Nearly every cell of my body heard that voice. I was shaking. Came off my bed, it was around two. I went to my senior. I said, you know what? I'm leaving today. And he says, what? Pulled out a paper and says, George, I have 52 names who want your job. They are on waiting list. Why are you going without any case in this office? I said, you know what? Today, I met with Jesus. And he told me I should go and serve him. Then he called in his friends. They started laughing at me. They said, maybe there's some, something wrong. He needs some counseling. We should send him to a counseling place so that he may understand. Because I had worked for only two months after posting. And I was only 24. I said, you know what? I don't need any counseling. I heard with my ears. I saw with my eyes. The Lord told me, George, are you willing to serve me? And I remember, I said, yes. That very afternoon, I packed my few belongings, went back home in my deep village. And on that second Sunday, I started my first church. I went in. And you know what? My parents were asking me, George, what are you doing today? Let me tell you the truth. I never knew how to answer them. I never knew how to answer my dad, who had spent all his livelihood paying my school fees. And here now comes this young man. He's doing pastoral work. So once a while he would write and say, George, what are you doing? Because we are separated by more than 100 miles. So you'd write, George, what are you doing these days? And I wouldn't reply. Because I never had answers to the question. Let me tell you this. If the church is to grow, if the church is to have representatives out there, men and women ought to have an experience of the Lord Jesus himself. That's when all the pleasures we see around here, all those things that we value, the Paul wrote to the Philippians that what I considered valuable, what I considered very important, is not because of the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And I believe none of us is a weak Christian. None of us cannot do exploits. All of us, all of you, can do as great sacrifices as any other man you have read about. You can do exploits. You can do great sacrifices. The gap between you and that man is 
the experience he has had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, if God would graciously give you an experience of himself, you can be as bold as any other man. You can be as brave as any other man. You can do what you have never dreamt about doing. I never dreamt about leaving my, 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 my job. Lastly, what is the challenge with the church today? Why is the challenge? What's the gap? I believe the weaknesses of our churches today are due to the fact that we have, we have so many among us who have never had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they will come and go. They will come and go because they have never had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Number two, dedication. The church is lacking ministers. The church is lacking volunteers. The church is lacking everything, but it has members. What is the gap? The gap is, if, you're not, if, if you have not had an experience, then it's very hard for you to do any volunteer work. Lastly, poverty. Well, I have had the grace of visiting at least six states in the U.S., preaching in churches. I was in German recently. I have preached in the other side of Australia and New Zealand. I am yet to see a pastor who tells me that my budget here balances well from the tithes and offerings given by the members. I am yet to see one. Before I ever flew out of Africa, I assumed that because of the poverty in Africa, that's why our churches are struggling. But I have talked to many leaders. I have not talked to Scott. I don't know what happens here, but I'm just giving you a story. But I have not seen anyone. Let me tell you, ask you a question. When Jesus comes to a neighborhood, is it true that he brings to himself the poorest of the poor? Only the poorest of the poor? Is it true that when Jesus came to this neighborhood, what is it, this neighborhood? Is it Brighton? What? Mendon? Rochester, okay. When Jesus came to Rochester, did he pick only the poorest of the poor? I believe not. Because even in Africa, where we have 99% living under poverty level, at least we have some few who command the dollar. What is the problem? The problem is we have men and women who have been blessed with the, I don't, you call it the dollar, who have been blessed with the dollar, but because they have not had an experience with the Lord Jesus, they don't see any use of giving it to the house of God. In fact, one day I was in Tauranga, one of the cities of New Zealand. After preaching, 
I was walking around greeting, and I saw everyone turning their eyes to a certain man. And this caught my attention. I said, why? Then one young man, I said, why is everyone looking at him? And this young man told me that the city magazine wrote an article thanking him because he had given the rugby club $200,000. So what? So everyone has read about him, so they were looking. I turned to the pastor, and the pastor knew what I was going to say. And the pastor quickly told me, you know what, George? He has never given us even $10,000. I said, what? He said, he has, our brother has never given us even $10,000. And this church, the man was about 70 years. The church had pastored him from age 25. It pastored his sons. Now it's pastoring his grandsons, but he has never given it $10,000. It was easy for him to write $200,000 to the rugby club, but he has never given $10,000 to the church that has had an impact in his life for 50 years. What is the problem? The problem is not poverty. The problem, we have men and women who command the dollar but have not had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Let us stand up. I just want to pray with you. I know we have been doing a series on the church. I believe this if the Lord would graciously give you an experience of himself or you would open up your heart and get an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be the true judge. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. The series is about the church. And Father, I pray that you would give the grace of your experience to every one of us in Jesus' name. May God bless you. Sit down. Pastor, you're welcome. Would you join me in saying thank you to Pastor George this morning? This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.